Everybody else, you just stay right where you're at. You're in a good place, and uh, we're going to have a good time. I uh, wanted to introduce our speaker for the day, and I thought about asking you if any of you know what it's like to have gotten on board with something, to have seen something, and to have confidence in it, and to say, I am with it. I am in. Count me in. I got a text from somebody several months ago, and I was offering them an opportunity to do something, and they said, count me in. I have made it a practice in my life to just observe people. I'm a people watcher. I like to observe uh, different individuals. I've watched some of you. You don't even know it, and I've watched some of you. And as I observe, I like to see things that work, things that go well. As I was growing up in my town, uh, Danville, Illinois is where I grew up. That's where Joe Humrick House was a pastor. He wasn't the pastor of my church, but of a, a sister church there in town. And I grew up with kids from that church. I got to know families from that church. And these families, these wonderful uh, teenagers, but their parents, they had an opportunity to get on board with something that Joe was blessed to learn for himself and then be able to pass on to his own church family. They were able to see revival in that church back in the 80s. They were able to see incredible effects um, after that revival. And there is something that healthy churches have in common with one another. And that's the topic that Joe is going to speak on for the next 35 minutes or so, and then also a couple more times today. And so I would encourage you, get your Bible out. It's going to be Bible preaching like we are used to here. But I want to challenge you right now as we get started just to open your hearts. Be open to whatever God would have for you on this day. I have been challenged over the past couple days, some things that have been said that have been um, hard for me to hear. And Joe and I spent time last night talking, and I said, here's, here's what God is doing in my heart, Joe. And he's observed, made some observations in the church, and um, he has a heart for Calvary Bible Church that we would see some of these principles and apply them. Now, Joe was here. How many of you remember when Joe was here? He, was, he spoke on Father's Day in the gymnasium. How many of you were here for on Father's Day in the gymnasium? And Joe told me, I'm looking forward to seeing your new sanctuary. And I let him know that the best time to see the sanctuary is right now from the place where I am standing. This is the most beautiful way to see this new sanctuary with all of your faces. So please don't frown. Uh, please don't fall asleep. Uh, don't do any of that. But Joe will be able to see your faces and see your Bibles opened, and he's going to come at this time, and he's going to minister to us in, uh, in God's Word. And so, Joe, would you please come and preach the Word to us? Okay, thank you. When I trusted Jesus as my Savior uh, at, at the age of 19, I never thought it could be this good. I was a guy who just loved to live in the world and sin and just whatever lost people do. But then when I actually said yes to Jesus on a locker room floor at Pillsbury Baptist Bible College, you know, John 10.10 says, I'm come that you might, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But I really didn't know what that meant. And I just felt like 
okay, I'm going to give up all my fun and now I'm going to become a Christian. I'm surrendering my will. But I, I knew that I needed to and the Spirit of God was working on me to believe Jesus. But I just want to be a real advertisement to young people here today who may be not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know here's an old guy that's been walking with the Lord for 54 years. And I've never been happier. And I really mean that. I, I'm, not, I'm not an old angry man. I'm not bitter. I'm full of joy. And the reason is because Jesus said, if you, I, give, I share these things with you, he said in John chapter 15, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And you know, the cool thing is when the circumstances around you are not that great, you know, I've lost a farm, I've lost a wife. In fact, um, 17 years ago yesterday, I lost my wife. So that's a, this is the 17th anniversary of her death. And uh, I got a nice little picture on my this morning on the text from one of my daughters that re, you know she said this is a bouquet that something like mom would have on the table and uh, so lost a wife have had cancer you know there's the circumstances have not always been great but the joy of Jesus never changes and it's his joy in us then what happens is that when we cooperate with him our joy is full and so I just want to say to you Calvary Bible I'm full of joy this morning and uh, so, and it's been just, a, it's been a real treat to be here. It is. I do love Pastor Jeremy. He and I have great fellowship and he's very exciting and fun to be with. Always has ever since he was a young boy. And um, then he's grown up and now matured to be your pastor. And so we're very thankful. Uh, a lot of little fun things have happened. I mean, Bob Nelson showed up this morning with bumper stickers from my car about the farm. Really? I mean, that has never happened. And so... No farm, no food, you know, and so, because <laughs> he, he, he heard me speak last time, right? And so and I told some stories about the farm, evidently. And then I was just in a meeting, you, this will blow your mind, I was just in a meeting in Columbia, South Carolina, actually Lexington, and, uh, and on the front row was a family, and they had four children, and two of their names were Gwen and Aaron. So I stood up this morning and I turned around to meet these gals, young gals. And what are your names? Aaron and Gwen. You know, so we have a Gwen and an Aaron here and a Hannah, Hannah. And so I have a Johanna and uh, Hannah asked me, well, how old is your daughter, Johanna? I said, 50. <laughs> she said, oh, my word, you know. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I said, I have grandchildren older, older than you. But anyway, isn't, isn't that something so coincidental? You know, I got a Gwen and an Aaron. And uh, Gary Fritz and I dressed alike today. We didn't intend to. I, did, I didn't even get the memo, but he and I are like twins. And Elliot, I said, let's do a trio, you know. And so anyway, all those things are fun. And it's just fun, really. To walk with Jesus, see where he puts you, meet new friends, and enjoy the journey. But how do we change, really? You know, the bad news about this message, I'm going to give you one sentence of bad news, and that is we all need to change. And we never stop needing to change. Um, you know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, them he also predestined to be 
conformed to the image of his son. Now, I don't know about any about you, but I think I've got a long ways uh, in growth to be like Jesus. In fact, R.J. McQuilkin, who was the past president of Columbia Bible College, which is a school that their message really, really helped me early on in ministry, um, he said in his book, Always in Triumph, that generally Christians have three problems. One would be an up and down Christian experience, up and down. And, um, and then another one would be a besetting sin. In other words, I know as a guy, I've had some besetting sins, some things that kind of haunt me, and I've been in bondage to that. And then a lot of Christians look at their life and they say, I don't know if I have any lasting fruit and so when you put that all together, and yet lots of times we, we have no idea to go from how to go from where we are to where we need to be. I found myself in that condition when I was a senior pastor for the first time in 1974. I found myself very broken. And here's what I struggled with, guys. Number one, I struggled with worry, fear, and depression. It was a big deal. And I was fresh out of seminary, and I took this church in the south, and, um, you know, I had the fear of man big time. And so I, I wasn't all that great a leader because I was really a little more in bondage to fear. I think we have a sister here that's talking about how to be delivered from your bondages. I think you're right there, aren't you? And so I had a real bondage to fear. I had a real bondage to lust. And, you know, just young man, hormones, young family, heart, but, but as a, and I'm a pastor, and yet, wow, you know, I wanted to have pure thoughts, and uh, I didn't always have them, and so I had that bondage. And then I also looked at my life, and I said, are we really seeing lasting fruit in this church, or are we just bringing a crowd here? And so I looked at all those things, and here's one thing I want to tell you. I, taught, I was taught that Jesus was my Savior and that He died for my sins. I understood that, and I had believed Him for that nine years earlier. But there's one thing that I didn't know, and I want you to hear this, and probably I sense with the maturity of this church as I've engaged you, a lot of you probably know this, but I learned in those years in my life that Jesus was my life. I was traveling to Atlanta. I had these... Um, bondages to fear and lust and so forth and worry about the ministry. And there was a lady who came to our church. Her name was Sarah Mary. And she gave me a tape to listen to of somebody who really understood the Christ life. And so I was listening to the tape. The speaker was a man named Joseph Carroll. And Dr. Carroll gave this outline on his message. Now, guys, you got to hear this. He gave an outline about Jesus, and it's in the green book out on the table if you want to get this, but it goes like this. Jesus is my Savior. That's history. That's what He did for me. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet, yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then, but He went on to say, Jesus is your sanctification. Oh, I had never heard that. And I'd been to Bible college and seminary, and I hadn't gotten that. Somehow I'd missed it because I kind of thought that being a Christian was trusting Jesus and then being good and just, you know, gutting it out and doing what you needed to do as a good boy because that's what I learned on the farm and that's what we learned in sports. But he said, Jesus is your sanctification. 
That's what he does in you. And you know what? It's just like a light bulb came in my head. Wow. And he quoted 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And it dawned on me there that day, Jesus is my purity. I don't have to just face this whole thing of impurity by myself. Jesus is my sanctification. And then he went on. He said, Jesus is your service. I, you know, I can't hardly believe, I've, I've told this story a few times, but I can't hardly believe the miracle that this message was for me at that time. It was like tailor-made. Jesus, your service, that's what he does through us. And that, that little statement right there is probably one of the whole reasons that I do this whole, I did, did the book on the life of the vine, the soul of the church. But it's what he does through us. And you know, I was trained to preach. I was trained to put it together with a proper introduction and then a proper exegesis of the text and with appropriate illustrations. And I took pulpit speech where you learn to pitch and pause and punch and poise. And so every time I went to a service like this and stood up to preach, which was weekly, I, I just had it in my mind, the success of this church and the transformation of these people, it's all about how well I do in the pulpit and honestly, you know, we're here on today, and I want to do well. Don't get me wrong. But what's important in this message is not how I come across. It's how Jesus comes across. And so, he, he quoted John 15, 5. I am the true vine, abide in me, and, and he that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. And then the last part of that verse says, for without me, you can do nothing. And it dawned on me again. Wow. Jesus is my service. And then the last thing he said was, Jesus is our shepherd. That's what he does with us. And you know, I know God had that for me, and it's not the same for everybody, but it's just like his outline was perfectly fitted, guys, for my bondages. My bondages, my bondage to fear. Jesus is my shepherd. My bondage to lust. Jesus is my sanctification. My bondage to maybe no lasting fruit. Jesus is my service. And so what happened that day? What happened that day, seriously, is Jesus went from being just my Savior to being my life. Let that soak in a minute. I really do believe that a lot of Christians don't understand the power of change and the ability for them to change because they still have Jesus only as a historical figure. Jesus is a present reality. In fact, everything we've been learning here at Calvary this weekend is all about how Jesus is the life of Calvary Bible Church. Jesus is your life here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And everybody who studies that text knows that's a plural you. And so like it's Christ in you all is the hope of glory. Amen. And I like to say, and I have already on two different occasions here this weekend, Friday and Saturday, that you, you have everything you need right now to be a great church because you have Jesus
And all God's people said, Now, for those who were students here during these sessions, they can point that out to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But the question is, how do I change? Because I can tell you that as a 19-year-old, when I came to Jesus, I need a lot of changing. I was going from a very unholy life to holiness in Him. And how is that going to happen? And so even nine years later, as a 28-year-old pastor, you know, who's coming out of these bondages, how do we change? And I think if, we, if I can tie this message in with the week we've, weekend we've had, Friday and Saturday, it would be, I'm going to show you in this message how praying Scripture works. It just works. And what we're really after this morning is not only praying Scripture on an individual basis. I, I would guess from the caliber of my conversations here, and the caliber of people that I meet and the experience you've had and the schools you graduated from and all, that I, I would, and I know, I know uh, Pastor Bracey, I started a relationship with this church 40 years ago when David Rowland was here as youth pastor. He's one of my best friends. And so I came to Calvary in 79 here just to visit. And so I just know the caliber of the teaching that goes on here down through the years now with Pastor Jeremy and others. So I would say that in this audience right now, we have a number of people who you really love your Bibles and you read them. But then, uh, can, we, can we take another step and as a church become a church that prays Scripture together? Now there's material that's been presented. There's a number of students that has got that material. There'll be some more material presented this afternoon. And so you have the tools in order for that to happen. I believe that we can raise the quality of our prayer meetings and maybe the quantity of our prayer and become a praying church in the sense when we learn to pray Scripture together. But what does that do? What does that really do? Okay, so we're going to look at one Scripture in the Old Testament and we're going to look at a a counter-Scripture in the New Testament. And I want to put the two together in the remaining minutes that we have. And I just want you to see... Okay, can I say this? The miracle. I want you to see the miracle of praying Scripture together. Now, what did I start out with? What was the bad news? The bad news was we all need to change. The question is, how are we going to change? And in the, in the final minutes here, I want to show you the miracle of transformation that comes when we do something very special. The passage I'd like for you to turn to is found... It's familiar. I know most of you love it, know it, memorized it. Psalm 27. So if you could, uh, let's scoot back there to Psalm 27. And we want to look at this scripture and then compare it to one in the New Testament. Here's David, and he's very single-minded, guys. It's a good thing when somebody becomes very single-minded. In this passage, uh, this is where David becomes very single-minded. And he's very confident when you read these first three verses. This is one of those psalms where David has an extreme amount of confidence. Here's what he says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. 
And though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, and this I will be confident. And then the next two words in my particular translation says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Isn't it good when you get single-minded? Don't you love the psalm when he says, psalmist when he says, Lord, unite my heart that I may fear your name. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And it's really a good thing when we come to one thing. And here's David in a single-minded statement saying what is the one thing that he delighted in above everything else. And so just look at some of these words. One thing I have desired. There's a hunger here of the Lord, and so you might begin to pray right now. Lord, give me a hunger for this as it begins to unfold. That will I seek. There's some diligence there, you know, where you know we have to put some effort into it. That I may dwell. There's going to be some time involved in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do two things. And now for us, let's, let's bring this up to speed with regard. We're not in the temple anymore. We're not uh, there in the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place. We understand this in Old Testament context. But the body, as we heard this morning, is a sanctuary. We are a sanctuary. We are a temple built up, a place where God dwells by His Spirit right here at Calvary. And so what is this one thing we do? Basically, for us, it would be opening our Bibles and looking at the Lord. And so... One thing I have hungered for that I'm going to give diligence to and I'm going to take some time doing it all the days of my life is to do two things. It's to look into my Bible and to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's important, guys. Because I'm finding in today's world, especially in the academic world, that sometimes we're in the Word but we're not seeing the Lord. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which speak of me. You know, the Pharisees were looking in the Word, but they weren't finding Jesus. They were studying the scriptures, but they weren't finding Jesus. And so let's not just let the Word of God be something that gets our memory bank going. Let's uh, let it be something that warms our hearts with the very presence of Jesus, as we see him in Genesis, and we see him in Exodus, and we see him in Leviticus, and so forth. He's all through the Bible. He's the hero of the Bible, and we find him when we look at him. And then, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, to ask questions. So here I am. I'm a New Testament Christian, and I've got a Bible, and I have all these 66 books. And so what I can do is that I can have a hunger for this, and I can be some diligence about this, and I can take some time and have the Bible open, and I'm going to look for the Lord, and I'm going to ask him questions. You know, you could ask David, he had a lot of interests. I think you know this, you know the life of David so well that you could understand that David had a lot of interests. David was a shepherd. He was uh, a farmer of sorts, being able to be out there and take care of the sheep. And so you could ask David, do you love taking care of sheep? I love taking care of sheep. I just love to be out there in the pasture and make sure they're moved from place to place. And so David could be very interested in watching the sheep. I also have raised sheep, me personally. And uh, I've seen them in those hard times and when they get out and when they get caught in the fence and when they're diseased and when they need to be sheared and 
And so I see all those things about sheep, and really it's quite enjoyable to be a, in animal husbandry. So David could have that interest. He could be caught up in that. Say, David, did you love, uh, did you love uh, being uh, a singer? Because David wrote songs. I've written a couple little ditties, basically, about the farm or something. But David wrote songs. As you know, 75 of the psalms were authored by him and so forth. And so he was a great singer. He played skillfully. He was able to put Saul at ease with his skill and everything. And so David could really be caught up in music. But he said, there's one thing I love more than shepherding. And there's one thing I love more than singing. And, and then you could say, David, do you love being a soldier? Because he became a great soldier. No, it all, his career all started with taking Goliath out. And so... Everything from there all the way through being in Israel's army and so forth. You could ask David, did you love that? Did you love warfare? And Yeah, it was scary at times, but I really loved it. And I watched God win battles. And then, of course, David became a king. And so he was a statesman. He really was in lead. <clears throat> he was really in lead in the nation and watched Israel go to become a worshiping nation. And so you could ask David about all of his interests, you know, do you like shepherding, do you like singing, do you like, you know, soldiering, do you like statesmanship, and David could say, those are all very, very exciting, but there's one thing that I love more than all my other interests, and I just want to say to the guys here, I've had a lot of interests, I've had cars and sports and, you know, girls and all those things that kids love, teenagers and all normal things. I love the farm. I still get to you know, be on the farm a little bit and do some things. I love horses, riding horses and so forth. But I will tell you, and God knows my heart, that a lot of those things I've just kind of lay aside, lay aside. Many of them I've been able to use in ministry of one kind or another, but I've had to lay those aside. And my, my life is becoming more and more about one thing. And that is that I want to look in the Word and see Jesus and ask Him questions. You can do that as a church. Let me tell you something interesting. After I had that amazing um, insight given to me, and I believed Jesus on that day, listening to that tape, you know, about Jesus as my life, I believed Him that day to be my life. My life began to change. My wife at the time would say, I got a new husband. My kids got a new daddy because I was just kind of a workaholic. And, uh, you know, I was uh, worry, fear, and depression. Sometimes I'd just curl up on the floor in the living room and listen to Christian music. And so Diane would tell you that my life changed. My friends began to tell me that my life changed on that day. But I lived on that experience. Now, you got to get this part. I lived on that experience for about two years. And I tell everybody everywhere my testimony. But two years later, I was depressed again. And someone sent me a pamphlet. I, to this day, don't know who sent it. I have no idea where it came from. It didn't have a return address on the envelope. It just came to me. It's almost like God sent it to me. And the information in that pamphlet, it, it's almost chronicled my testimony like I told you. And this man who ever wrote it said, two years later, I was depressed again. And God was giving me a message. And the message was this. He wanted me to get back to the Word. How many know you can't live on experience forever? You understand what I mean? Amen. You know, you, you can't live on experience forever. Because life changes and we age in different circumstances. 
But we can live on the Word as we see Jesus. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're going to do one thing. And that is we're going to look at Jesus in the Word and ask Him questions. Now, that's all. That was bad news, and that's news. Now let me show you the good news. Let me show you what happens. And before we do, the question we're asking is, how are you going to change? What are your bondages? What do you deal with as a besetting sin? If you look at your life, do you see lasting fruit? But let me show you the miracle that happens when individuals and churches pray the Scriptures into their lives and look for Jesus. You've had the Old Testament Scripture? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This is a miracle. And uh, we probably ought to back up. It talks about the veil coming off of Moses and so forth. And the way is open for us to now come. And I love I heard John MacArthur the other day talking about how in the Old Testament the intimacy with God was, was for the most part, delegated to the priests. But now because the veil is open and we can come directly in and fellowship with the Lord, the veil is open for us to be intimate with Jesus through the Word by the Holy Spirit. And so here we are in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Watch now, gang. Watch it, watch it. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And by the way, the word mirror there, you know, you can understand mirror, and it's not so much the glare of it as it is the intimacy of it you know you want to see this and so you pull this mirror up close so you can really see holding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image what image the image of God in Jesus from glory to glory from one glory to the other how just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We all, with unveiled face, seeking, looking, asking, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. And we study that on Friday and Saturday a little bit. It's the word metamorphosis. It's like a, a butterfly that goes, and the caterpillar is formed, and it comes forth from the chrysalis, and here's the butterfly. The butterfly life comes out on the outside. That's what happens to us. The Christ that's on the inside of us as we observe the Christ that's in the Word begins to be on the outside of us and we begin to be transformed. Our lives are replaced by His. We are transformed into His image and it's all a miracle. It's all by the Spirit of the Lord. So how are you going to change? You say, well, I'm just going to work harder. No, you won't change. You say, well, I'm just going to cover it up and pretend. No, that doesn't change anything. Well, I'm going to run from it and hide, or I'm going to become a workaholic. No, that, that doesn't change. You can deny it. It doesn't change you. What's going to change us? Because the goal for all of us who have believed in Jesus as our Savior is to be like Jesus. How are we going to ever get there? Here's how we get there. We behold Him in the Word. And we look, and we ask. And we repent, and we look some more. And just as we behold the Lord Jesus and the Word, then we become, we become like what we behold. I was speaking on this in, to some teenagers in Mexico last spring. 
And to be able to say it to kids so they would really understand it, I said, kids, we look like what we look at. We look like what we look at. And there may be, I've heard of ladies who said, I ain't going to be like my mother. And so, you know, I'm not going to be like my mother. I'm not going to, I don't want to be like her. And then the next thing you know, guess what? She turns out to be like her mother. How did that happen? Guys could do the same. I ain't going to be like dad. Dad was mean, man. And we just, I, I have people in my life that are steeped in bitterness because they're angry with their parents. I've begged one boy, please give up your bitterness on your dad. Don't lock your dad in that frame back there. Let him be free. Forgive him. He can change. Pray that he comes to know Jesus. You know, we can only have one emotional focus at a time, guys. And if our focus is on how mad we are at our mother, or how mad we are at our father, or how mad we are at a church person or something then all of a sudden we become just like them because we look like what we look at. Turn your eyes upon who? Yeah. Look full in His wonderful face. And you know, by looking at Jesus in the Word as a lifestyle and making that the one thing we love above everything else, All of a sudden, you can't explain it. It's a mystery. You begin to look like Him. And the love and the joy and the peace of the Spirit and the long-suffering and the gentleness and goodness and faith and temperance and meekness, all that from the Holy Spirit begins to blossom in your life and people. And I will tell you, listen to me, it's true. It's absolutely true. These kinds of people who make Jesus their first love and boil life down to one thing and glare into the Word and look for Him, they are easy to live with and they are wonderful to be with. They, great, they make great moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas. Warren Wiersbe has a cool one-liner. How many like Warren Wiersbe's one-liners? I do too. And this is what he says about this verse. You ready? Here we go. This is be, it, it always offends me. People write this down. They forget everything else I said. And they say, oh, I remember what Warren Wiersbe said. Oh, you know, that's, that's hurtful. No, I'm kidding. Okay. But it goes like this. He says, when the child of God looks in the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he is changed into the image of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. Isn't that good? When the child of God looks in the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he is changed into the image of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. And so my challenge to you as a church is, Individually, if you've been really uh, slack concerning being in the Word, especially looking for Jesus and being warmed by His presence, uh, then, then let's start doing that. You may as an individual say, I need to change. I really do. How's this going to happen? Here's how it happens. And then if that happens good, well for an individual, then why not make it a corporate behavior? where we say we want Calvary to becoming, be becoming more and more like Jesus every day so that when people walk in these doors, they meet Jesus. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit and reflecting Christ in their lives. I mentioned my late wife. <clears throat> Her name was Diane. I'm now married to Teresa. I was single for five years and 
Now, Teresa and I have been married for 12 years. But when I married Diane, I had only been saved nine months. I mean, when I met her, I had only been saved nine months. So we began to court, and we were in Bible college kids. She was a farm kid. I was a farm kid. She loved her Bible. She wrote poems to the Lord ever since she was 12 or 13 years old. She prayed for her mate. All she ever wanted to be was a pastor's wife. She prayed for her kids. She prayed for her kids' mates even before they ever happened. All her kids have married wonderful Christians. Diane was just a wonderful gal. Knew and loved Jesus. She was pure and innocent and uh, just wanted nothing else but to be like him. And so when I started seeing her, she noticed how little I read my Bible. And, uh, you know, I just got saved. I was really ignorant in the Word and everything like that. So she said, now, Joe, you're, uh, you need to read your Bible more. And she saw that I had a good heart and I was headed the right direction, that I really was saved but she says, I'm going to give you something. And, and while we were dating, she gave me a little red grading pencil, like a school teacher has. And uh, Brad is here somewhere, I think. And Brad, Brad teaches fourth grade, and I'll bet he has a grading pencil. Maybe you don't do that nowadays. I don't know. But anyway. And she says, You can underline in your Bible verses. I've got these verses all underlined with a red number two grading pencil. And when she died, and in every one of my Bibles, I've got that, a pencil. Not because of her, but just because it's my habit. And uh, when she died, I bought hundreds of grading pencils. And I put them in baskets at the doors of her funeral because we had a lot of people come. And I just sort of was the leader of the service. I didn't do all the speaking, but I led the service. And I closed with this. I said, now as you go out of the building, you'll find baskets. And they have red grading pencils in them. And I told the story about her love for the Word and teaching me to underline in my Bible. And I said, I want everybody to take one. And remember... The life is in the Word. And so I want to say to you, I don't necessarily want you to get grading pencils. I think I have time for one more story. And that is, I remember the day that my son Jason, who was a youth pastor here, was struggling. And in the process of dealing with all of that, he said to me, Dad, you say we're supposed to love the Bible, but he said, I don't even understand the big words. I said, okay. Every morning that you're home and I'm home, we'll take time and I'll go through every part of the scriptures that we have time to go through and I'll explain the big words. And that's what we need to do, gang, if we're going to change. If we're going to go from bondage to fear to freedom in Christ, we've got to focus on Jesus and let him transform us from the inside out. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I love telling the story of the sufficiency of Christ. You know I love telling that. And I love, I love to have an attentive audience that can drink in... Um, 
the whole idea that Jesus is not just our Savior. He's our life. And so I, I thank you for the privilege to tell that story. And I pray that this morning there will be those who can be honest and look at their bondages and in that helplessness find all that they need in Jesus. And then in the process of finding all that they need in Jesus, that they would look for you in the Word. And that Bible reading and study would no longer be a dry homework assignment, but it would be a living reality with a living Savior. And I pray that for not only individuals, but I pray it for this great church, that they would be able to pray Scripture together and watch the amazing transformation that takes them into areas that they never ever dreamed of being because Jesus is there by the Spirit. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and ask Anna to play through a stanza. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray today. The challenge that we need to be in the Word of God and let it change us is not new to many of us. And yet I think it's quite possible that many people hearing this message today are, are being convicted about that. Maybe a, a new commitment. Take time to pray. Ask God to help you with that to allow you to become more like his son as you spend time in the word. Also, if you're here today, if you're not sure about your eternity, this question of eternal life, the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you could know for sure that you're a child of his, where you're going when you die, doesn't have to be a thing that you dread, but you can accept Jesus Christ as your savior even where you sit. We would invite you, if you'd never asked God to forgive you of your sins and make you his child, you can do that, even during the quietness of this moment.